See, I think that people aren't thinking big enough because you really wouldn't need a John Fetterman clone or body double. All you need is a John Fetterman head double and a John Fetterman leg double. And then you dress them up in an oversized hoodie and baggy shorts. So, so you're thinking this is some sort of uh, Barbie doll pop and replace uh, Lego minifig situation? Well, I was, I was thinking more uh, like two toddlers in a trench coat ah, sort of situation. Okay. You know, Many such cases. Yeah. Yeah, he, he'll be able to get into all of the R-rated movies, mm-hmm. uh, get onto the Senate floor. But I, I think that's why they're pushing so hard to change the Senate dress code. So that he can wear his hoodie and baggy shorts and it doesn't look so unconvincing as having two toddlers, uh, two extremely ugly toddlers uh, wearing like a giant oversized business suit. Yeah, we leave that to the GOP. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I do I do like how, um, you know, the I mean, the theory is like, okay, we've got this amazing cloning technology and we're going to use it on a fairly popular, uh, almost impossible to replicate a junior senator who votes the way the party wants him to, uh, rather than, I don't know, replacing Joe Manchin or, God forbid, somebody on the Republican side. Well, I mean, that would imply that there's some kind of political party. We know there's no political party. There's just individual actors. We're all we're all working on this on everyone's favorite show, the news. Right, right. And you know, I, maybe they've watched a little too much science fiction in the past. Um, I think it was a uh, it was Iron Spike who said, whenever someone's talking about like a crazy conspiracy theory, just wait, clock to the minute until they say the words. You know, it's just like that movie. <laughs> Uh, which reminds me of so much I read about the way the Cybertruck was developed by Elon Musk. He wanted everything to look like RoboCop and, uh, you know, Cyberpunk and uh, Blade Runner. It's like, of course the guy can only envision the future via futures that nobody should ever want to live in. Or just just in broadly speaking, like, stuff he sees on TV. Um, you know, if he mm-hmm. belonged to a different family, he wouldn't be allowed to sign his own contracts. Uh, right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm still holding out for the, the reveal that he was actually the result of a big-style wish gone wrong. <laughs> Back to the Liquid Flannel Podcast. From Arlington, Texas, I am, as ever, Matthew Hodges, joined by my good friend and co-host from New York City, John Lovett. Hey, John, how are you? I'm fine. I recently got a tour of the staff-only areas of the big New York Public Library, the one from Ghostbusters. The place where they keep the ghosts or the stacks of books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The the ectoplasm? Yeah, yeah, the lions out front and everything. They have... They, they have so many like weird rich people in the forties like donated things to the mu- to, to the public library. They're like, yeah, I think we have Emil Zola's uh, desk in storage somewhere. Wild, 
So why do they why do they keep this stuff just in a staff only area? I mean, it seems like well, it seems like you'd find some benefactor who'd like to put all that stuff. It belongs in a museum. Well, here's the thing: the New York Public Library is a museum, and they have like really big museum shows. And it's because they have this massive collection. They can be like, "Great, what if we just do um, all first editions of all like classic children's fantasy novels? We have oh, we have great. them in the back somewhere. People want to go look at them." Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, you uh, you had mentioned that you had an extremely John sort of day the other day. Yeah, no, it was like, hmm, I'm going to have a martini in a steakhouse and then talk to some tenured professors about library science. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a very John sort of day. And then somebody complimented your outfit, I think you said. Yes, I was walking down the street and some girl said, hey, I like your outfit. I was, that's awesome. I, I was dressed like... Um, I am an academic who is accidentally involved in a cult pyramid scheme in the 70s. Excellent. Or just even in a cult in the 70s. Yeah, no, I... I, Also also a great look. (laughs) You know, real uh, H.P. Lovecraft, you know, Professor Armitage sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Was that you said that you had some local news? Was that your local news? No, no my local news is that um, we're finally, finally dealing with the rat problem, quote unquote, by oh. uh, doing something every other major city on Earth has done like fifty years ago. Import a lot of cats. <laughs> that's the that's the Istanbul solution. No, oh. uh, we we finally have like garbage containers that close. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty amazing. I, I even heard somebody uh, at work the other day say, well, you know the reason they have all the rat problems is because they keep their uh, trash out on, the, out on the sidewalk. And I was like, oh, there's some interesting news headed your way. Yeah, no, it's the containerized. And, that, you know, every other city on Earth does this by, you know, sacrificing some parking spaces. And if we do that, the city will fall into the sea. It's actually <laughs> part of the charter. Right, but our I, the composting program, which is a very the Frogurt is also cursed kind of municipal situation. Okay, but they introduce like basically raccoon proof garbage containers. Uh, so yeah, so the rats can get in and out just fine, because they're raccoon proof. Yeah, <laughs> well, the rats don't have the big enough hands, so we're gonna see just giant hand development in rats. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of those rats are big enough to be raccoons anyway. Yeah. Or at least a, at least a medium-sized opossum. Yeah. <laughs> opossums don't... Opossums just walk around and eat whatever, though. They're not... They don't get into your building like, like rats do. No, they're, they're terrified of humans, and apparently they, they have no teeth and they don't get cancer. They don't get cancer? No one knows why. So, like, opossum research is actually a big part of longevity stuff. Huh. Yeah, I didn't know about that. That's very interesting. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, the the rats are kind of part of the charm of New York City. You don't see that pretty much anyplace else. Well, no, because the rats mostly, partially because you know, back during COVID, there was no more food, and they were just like attacking each other in the street. Oh yeah, sure. Right. But you know, food is fairly abundant. Um, yeah, if you back, s- back alley rat fights, and <laughs> that kind of if, thing. If you see a rat out on the street, it usually means it's been like exiled from rat society. Right. And yeah, they they very rarely 
even really go near people. I mean, they're a little fearless on the subway, but then they're just like running past you, and you're like, "Hey, that's a real small dog." Oh. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, the first time I was there. We were riding the subway, and a uh, train was coming, and just this big fuck off rat just trotting on down the tracks. Like he had no worries at all. He knew he could get out of the way. I was like, "That's cool." I I feel like a real New Yorker now. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well. Good local news. Uh, New York City finally discovers basic sanitation. Yes. <laughs> One of these days we'll figure out who is walking here. <laughs> no, that's a mystery for the ages. <laughs> well, um, so uh, taking it taking it from the local to the uh, more national stage, um, in you know broader leftish politics uh politics and news of course uh everyone's heard of the ongoing united auto workers strike uh which does not as of our recording date of the 20th of september uh seem to really have much of a horizon yeah i mean you saw the reports coming out of people saying like this strike is very important to me because i've had to work two jobs in the last few years, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, and and w- what I've found really remarkable is, I mean, especially in the uh, the aftermath of a lot of other labor organization over the past couple of years, especially since uh, the pandemic. Um, think Starbucks. Uh, think Amazon. Um, it really seems like public sentiment is fairly high for the UAW strike. It was something like 76% according to that CNN poll. Like, that's, that's amazing. Ama- yeah, it's amazing. And when you interview workers on the picket, they say directly, like, I saw what the Teamsters got when they threatened to strike. They got everything they wanted. Sure. Why shouldn't we? Or like, right. those Amazon, those concessions from Amazon were brought out by, like, you know, warehouse stoppages. And so, like, oh, yep. this this works. Unless, yeah. unless you run the railroad. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I want I want to get into that in a second, but you know, you know, more broadly speaking, I think that people are rediscovering that you know direct action actually does get the goods. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of like interesting new tactics coming out of this because, uh, you know, like the the the, the first sit in strike was developed by auto workers in the thirties. Because mm-hmm. unemployment was super high, the job, you know, it was rigorous and demanding, but it wasn't necessarily technically skilled or whatnot. You know, you just give any Joe a hammer and say, hammer that. So in order to prevent uh, the factory owners from just filling up the factories if people strike with, you know, yeah, with a bunch people, of scabs, with a sure. bunch of scabs, a yeah. bunch of bums, uh, they developed the sit down strike, which is, no, we will physically block you from using this equipment. Right. And uh, that's a big thing Jane McAlvey is always going on about, saying, like, a lot of the early labor successes and, like, the tactics we know work were developed when hostility toward workers was so much higher. It was, it was very, like, those were developed in the and then 17 were killed era. Right, right. So so that they've, they've developed over at um, UAW... And I believe they drew inspiration from the flight attendants union about how 
we're going to spread disinformation about what factories are going to strike. So they're going to move. Right, as, yeah. yeah uh, so they're going to move all their equipment to the wrong factory. And then not only right. is a different factory striking, the factory that's not on strike has no equipment. Yep. Yeah, so this was this was reported uh, probably not first, but very close to first by an old friend of our show, uh, Ken Klippenstein, today, um, that the UAW workers were able to successfully convince the bosses that they were going to be protesting at Plant A. And so Plant A moved all of their stuff to Plant B, and then they demonstrated at Plant B. And Plant B couldn't get anything done. Like John says, Plant A couldn't get anything done because they didn't have any engines to work on. Right. And um, it's called the the stand-up tactic because it's sort of acknowledging that the conditions are almost reversed from when the sit-down were developed. Sure. Uh, it also does things like you only shut down like three plants at a time, then you wait a week, then you shut down another three plants. So it creates this incentive for people to come to the bargaining table because you know every week or every day you stop it, it's going to get worse rather yeah, than just shutting everything worse. down all at once because then they could say, well, right. we'll just wait you out or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I've I've also you know I've been hearing interviews from uh, UAW uh, union members who are not on strike currently, but absolutely stand in solidarity, and they're like, "Yeah, we're just waiting for the union to call it. We're we're ready to we're ready to join that that effort as well." Um, so and yeah, it's this uh, it's like a I don't it's the, the the frog in the boiling pot is not exactly the right metaphor here. It's more like um, as, uh, like an old, like an old timey adventure movie, uh, where the <laughs> the heroes in a room where the walls are slowly closing in, and then they start putting spikes out. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're seeing a lot of like genuine human ingenuity, uh, spontaneous dance marches, uh, one one uh, food being brought in from people, homemade T-shirts with uh, slogans on them. I believe one uh, one chant was "No justice, no jeeps." <laughs> That's outstanding. Yeah, and, and like That's outstanding. Every DSA chapter I know has like gotten their um, has been told by the labor uh, caucus to if you are near a strike, you you'd better go and provide some support, which mm-hmm. is good um, to the point where like conservative weirdos things we think we're secretly controlling it and i'm like buddy i fucking wish man right yes <laughs> well it's good for the dsa too i mean um i think it's easy for i i love the dsa and i you know i really respect people who are uh involved in it i do think that in the absence of some sort of direct action they tend to kind of get in their own heads a little bit. Well, no, it, and so it's to have... people who are on the forums who get into their own heads a little bit. Okay, fair all right, fair enough. Maybe not maybe not at the meetings, but um, even the people on the forums right now are all focused on, you know, something other than just sort of this uh you know, internecine rivalries and stuff like that. Yeah, no, it's it's really like the strike wave in general has given us like a huge especially since we're kind of in between electoral projects right now. It's like it's given us a focus and something we can use to sort of uh, harden our uh, harden our steel. I mean, um, I for- this is bad on me because I forget which group was pr- uh, on strike in 
Buffalo, New York. I want to say it was one of the team stars. Anyway, uh, the DSA there did, which is actually quite advanced, which is fun, did a fundraising drive and gave them something like $70,000 to help them keep their strike Oh, going. wow. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, good for them. That's great. Okay, well, so that's that's on the local organizing level. Uh, I wanted to pick your brain just briefly before we take a break here about how you think this plays out on a national stage. Because like you mentioned a little bit ago, the railroad strike did not go well at all. Um, and that was mainly due from uh, top-down pressure from the Biden administration. Yeah, literally the, the with, president said no. Yeah, the president said no. Whereas in this one, he's at least giving lip service to, you know, standing in support of, of workers. Now, he hasn't made an appearance, and I have seen people say, you know, if he just showed up, if he just showed up on the picket line, you know, Michigan uh, is his forever. But he hasn't done it yet, so I'm I'm wondering how that plays out. Well, and also, does Donald Trump decide to, you know, do the thing that he does and swoop in and eat a couple of Coney dogs? Yeah, buy everyone burgers. If he was smart, he'd do that. Yeah. Um, sure. I don't know. The Biden thing is weird because the Democrats are histor- are historically incredibly popular, but he is not, which is a very strange situation to be in. And as for I think you have to understand that railways are a – they were a unique situation because, like, they have their own healthcare system and they have their own pension system specifically designed to, like, prevent them from striking because the railways are so nationally important. Huh. The problem is um, it's all kick the canism anyway because everyone involved in the railway industry knows they're not going to have any more railway engineers in, like, five years. So it's it's kind of going to general strike itself out of existence. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And like the Yeah, we're you know, and and again going back to one of your initial points about the the sit-down strikes. I mean, the auto workers are also extremely highly skilled at this point. I mean, these are people who have, you know, they've got degrees, they work with computers, they do all sorts of, you know, highly technical stuff, robotics engineering and stuff like that. They're not just they're not just some, you know, schlub who gets paid to put a single bolt in as something comes by on an assembly line. Yeah, people have this, like, somewhat outdated picture of, like, what American manufacturing looked like. More often than not, it's four people with advanced degrees overseeing a dark room full of robots. Right. But right. you still totally. have to, like, manually get things out of there. You still have to skill them. Someone still has to do quality control. Sure. Uh, but I, I, I think I see this going a pretty good way because I, this has somehow been lost to history. But do you remember when the entire auto industry almost disappeared overnight over Obama? No, I don't. Everyone forgets this. Like, yeah. GE was, like, begging to be nationalized. And it kind of almost happened, except in usual Obama way. Was, was this like, a dream you had? Look it up, uh, dude. Are you are you pulling my leg? This was an early Obama thing. He gave a huge amount of bailouts, but it was bailouts with no strings attached, which is that that whole like '08 to '23 era of you know the great deferment. Well, okay, that's a problem, oh, yeah. but we're going to put it off to the side, and someone else will take care of it. And right. 
it's kind of coming back in that like uh, we're doing subprime mortgage too, but this time with cars. Right. Yeah. So it's just yeah. it's the auto industry is looking very weak right now, and they're also looking very kind of lumpen billionaire because one of the executives at Ford, his big beef with the head of the union is that he didn't come and meet with Henry Ford's great great grandson, who isn't even like <laughs> part of the company. He's just like some billionaire scion, and it's like, well, it's disrespectful. And I'm like, you people are peasants Jeez. talking about aristocracy. These, you don't know how or why they're rich. Like, what the right. fuck, man? Well, and, and you know, like we've mentioned a couple of times, these workers know that they're not easily replaceable right now. Right. So they've got a great deal of power in that particular... Right. Well, not that they're negotiating it, but, you know, the the broader negotiation. And, and to the broader term, it is salaries and working conditions. It is that, definitely, because as they keep saying, you know... The CEO, record profits, um, labor costs for the big four, for the big three automakers are something like four to five percent of their actual expenditure. Most uh, biggest part of the expenditure is buying back their own stock. If that sounds like it should be illegal, it was until Reagan. That's wild. Uh, so, yeah, they're just like our CEO saw a 40 percent raise in one year for seemingly doing nothing. Like, right. why don't we get a f- fraction of that? So, like, that's yeah. part of it. That's definitely a big part of it. Because, again, we were mentioning people were having to do, like, door dashing while they were working for GM, which sure. is a real step backward in the whole social yeah. mobility thing. But the other thing is um, the the Biden Bidenomics. What is it? Who can say? Is it being implemented? Maybe. Uh, really says... <laughs> Like, we need to drastically ramp up electric vehicle production. Like, project warp speed that shit. Sure. And all of the auto manufacturers are like, oh, that's you want us to expand production? That's great. Can we have some money to yeah. do that? Awesome. We would love that. We, sure. were, we are going to put all of our new factories in right-to-work states where you do not have to be a member of the union right. in order to work there. So, of course, the union is also looking out for its own ass, saying we don't want to be undercut and have, like, potentially th- tens of thousands of new members not be under the protection. Man. So, like, they're okay. trying to, they're trying okay. to like, preemptive John- union busting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, preemptively union busting. Jeez. Okay. Well, like I said at the at the top, it looks like this thing doesn't have, you know, a clear end in sight. So I'm sure that we'll be revisiting the topic. Uh, one real last quick thought that I had um, before we take our break um, was: Do you think it's funny that the head of the that the president of the UAW's name is almost exactly Sinn Fein? To which I merely say, history does not repeat, but it often rhymes. <laughs> All right, folks, we'll be back in just a moment after the quick break. As you know, as this podcast is now 50% Texan, 
50% homosexual. <laughs> we have we have uncovered a story from the Dallas Daily News that is both um, Texas uh, homosexual an example and an example of um, if you you get so bigoted you become homeless. This yeah this one is this one is an extremely interesting funny uh, bizarre uh, almost almost hard to comprehend like. If if one were to write it onto a television program, I know that it's cliche to say, but you'd go, like, I think the producers kind of overplayed their hands on this one. So, let me set the stage. Uh, let's see. Well, they don't give the year. Anyway, okay. So, we're in the uh, small Texas town of Aurora. Texas. This is in uh, Wise County, which is uh, North Texas. A gay couple who have adopted a kid decide to open a Mexican restaurant. A Area 51 Mexico restaurant. It must be themed because it must be said Aurora's big claim to fame is being the site of a supposed uh, spaceman falling to Earth. Right, right. So they they called it what was it? Uh, area one one fourteen because it's off of one fourteen. Aurora is not a big town, but this you know this uh this spaceman in it, this Aurora spaceman is like their big claim to fame. And I'd really like to make my way up there and see the cemetery where this alien is supposedly buried. Anyway, so they so this this gay couple they're opening their Mexican restaurant and they adopt a kid. Um, all, all seems to be going just fine. The thing is their financier or possibly just their landlord. It's kind of unclear from the story, um, is a gal named Tony Lynn Wheeler, who's the city administrator for the town of Aurora. So far, so good. This is not, you know, like completely out of the ordinary for, you know, a city official to also be in the real estate business, right? Um, but here's here's where it gets, here's where it starts getting weird. <laughs> it, it continues to get weirder from here. Here's where it starts to get weird. So, Tony Lynn Wheeler, Wheeler is uh, renting them this place for their restaurant. And the restaurant's apparently uh, fairly popular. They're apparently known for their uh, good green chili sauce or whatever. And the atomic taco. And the atomic taco, which is a great, you know, that's that's a great conceit for a thing that's named after an alien crash site. I love it. I, I, I wish that I could have eaten at this place. It sounds cute as hell. They're having septic issues. Uh, the septic tank under the place hasn't been serviced, hadn't been serviced in a long time, and it's leaking uh, septic. Uh, and I'm sure most of you have been in a restaurant that's having like a sewer backup or something like that. And you just get that farty smell and it's just not very nice, you know. So they they apply and they appeal and they apply and they appeal until finally they get fed up with it and file a grievance with the uh, Texas Department of Environmental Quality. John, do you want to take over here? I've, I've set the stage. Sure. So when... So like her, the business, you know, the 
the septic tank that you know it's her responsibility to take uh take uh, charge of uh it was a team like in poor condition and it was issued a citation and then tony wheeler loses her goddamn mind just just absolutely uh, just everything that comes after this is you're you're it's just i was i was boggled she 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 sends multiple city health inspectors to find deficiency at atomic taco uh the papers allege that these um city visits included like derogatory gay slurs at the two men um well, and also, I mean, eyewitness testimony from people who were there and the couple themselves saying that Wheeler and the city officials were in there throwing around homophobic slurs. They, they, the fathers accused Wheelers of creating a fictitious buyer of Area 114 in order to allege to get them out of their lease. It later found out that the person who was supposed to be buying it, Luis Martinez, was actually Tony Wheeler. Was she actually al- Tony Wheeler. She also filed anonymous uh, child abuse uh, reports against them. Yeah, yeah. So and and which was which was deemed to be completely spurious by um, CPS, who came by and interviewed the and dads, apparently like the traumatized kid, the hell out of their the, kid. Yeah, yeah, traumatized the hell out of the kid. You know, also talked to like his preschool teacher and the principal, and they were all like. This is ridiculous. These guys are good dads. Um, you know, it's it's it was an anonymous complaint, but I, I I think by implication we know exactly who that was. But um, this is all just again preliminary to all of the embezzlement and arson. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. So the dads being driven out of business by their now batshit, uh, like, Pizzagate landlord, um, decide to file a complaint against the city itself, which results in, I'm I'm assuming, you know, the, the article doesn't get into it a whole lot, but I do have a law degree, and I kind of know how these things play out. Probably what happened was they went into discovery, and they asked for a bunch of city records. And the city records end up showing... Do you have the numbers pulled up, John? Because these were these were kind of eye-opening as well. Ah, here we go. I've got it. So Texas sends in a ranger to uh, help with this discovery, who discovers hundreds of thousands quote hundreds of thousands of dollars in suspected fraudulent transactions. They included ninety-five thousand ninety-six thousand dollars to Amazon. $195,000 to individuals, and $85,000 for personal credit card expenses all through Wheeler. And there's no... They had to do this through bank records because when they went to find the, the city records, they found, oh, the city <laughs> hall had mysteriously burned down a few years ago. The city hall had burned down a few years ago when... Who but our friend Wheeler was the last person in the building. And one of only three people with keys. One of only three people with keys. When asked about, you know, what could have, if she had any involvement in it, she blamed a malfunctioning extension cord for coffee and espresso machines. 
I don't think people in Aurora, Texas drink espresso, but that's fine. Okay. So oh, oh, she also had a notary seal that belonged to someone else. Oh, Jesus Christ. She is yeah. the one woman cri- white collar crime empire of North Texas. That's amazing. Okay, so that was that was the first fire though, the embezzlement one. Mm-hmm. That was the first fire. Uh the thing was uh they they had a hard time finding any kind of official reports about their restaurant because right in the middle of the investigation the city hall burned down. And once again, the last person in the building was Wheeler. Despite the fact uh, that um, she had... Okay, so, you know, with this, this embezzlement thing, you know, the previous fire, the city had actually received a clean financial bill of health uh, by a Houston auditor named Linda Miller. This investigation on the second fire turned up that there was no Linda Miller. Fact, it was just Wheeler again. It was Wheeler who made up a fake website claiming that she was a Houston financial auditor and hired herself. Isn't it awful when it's always the person you most suspect? <laughs> it's always the person you most suspect. Uh, oh, it's just wonderful. You know, and and uh, the, the article goes on to give some background on uh, Dr. Tony Wheeler, uh, who claims to be a doctor even though she's a PhD, ABD, which if you don't know just means all but dissertation. Which literally means you are not a doctor because you have to do a dissertation. She's stealing uh, graduate student to... valor. That's right. She's got. She's got. She's stealing PhD uh, valor. Um. Anyway, she gets fired. The mayor resigns and writes this uh, incredibly, I thought, kind of sweet and contrite letter. And was like, if I'd known any of this shit was going on, and it's like, okay, mayor, that's nice. It's nice of you to, uh you know, make this gesture toward these guys. Uh, but why didn't you know that this was going on? I mean, she worked directly beneath you. Yeah, she's basically like the second most powerful person in charge of the town. Well, right. her and her many aliases are the second most powerful people <laughs> in the town. <laughs> anyway, so Wheeler's up on a number of... Uh, well, there was a civil suit, and the, the couple does get... 300 grand um, from an insurance company and they're they're suing the city again because they lost their business. They kept their kid, thank God, um, but they did lose their business. So they're suing the city again. Um, Wheeler's up on criminal charges, uh, mostly about the embezzlement, but also like making false reports and claiming to be, uh, you, know, unof- you know, claiming to be unofficial without... What do they call it? What are whatever all these people in Georgia are getting uh, indicted for right now? So yeah, and then you know, in a plea for leniency, she claims uh, that she's like homeless and living in a park now, in which she most certainly probably is not. But also, uh, fuck around and find out, bitch. Right. She's an unbelievable, and I mean, and such a you know, as the article notes, like such a great setting for it, like a 
a town that's mostly known for maybe maybe she's the the spaceman the man who scammed to earth <laughs> episode so title. that was that was uh that's uh, yeah that's 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 the title that's the episode title um anyway so that was that was the uh that was a little interesting news article that that john found for us from the uh dallas morning news we'll drop it in the show notes yeah if you want to if you want to look it up a little bit more so i think with that we're gonna take another quick break and then we'll come back and take it out on a high note So, listeners, you know that as part of our tradition on the Liquid Flannel Podcast, even though this was a bit of a lighter episode and actually kind of a positive episode, just in case, we always want to leave you feeling good, um, and we like to take it out on a high note. So, mine this week was an interesting article, uh, breathlessly and furiously reported by the New York Post that Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson, in response to uh, serious food desert issues. Now, remember, a food desert is where, you know, people living in a certain neighborhood simply do not have access to basic groceries, like basic staples, um, which is a a major health concern for a lot of major cities. Um, In response to food deserts in uh, the south side of Chicago is considering a city program to do basically a city-owned grocery store or multiple grocery stores in that part of town. I think that that is such a spectacular idea. Um, And I'll tell you why. For one, lack of access to good food is and continues to create major health crises for this country, especially in the parts of our country that are hardest hit by economic downturn. Also, I think that we're at the point now where we can acknowledge that much like, you know, electricity, water, um, you know, that, that groceries, that access to actually good, clean food really ought to be treated more like a utility than a for-profit enterprise. Now, reasonable minds can disagree on that, but yes, John. Oh, no, I was just saying, you know, the dead-eyed homo economicus in me just says the profit margins on grocery stores are so slim. It doesn't make any sense to try to, like, squeeze out more profit from it. Just, Just sell the fucking produce. Uh, make right. it a fucking just, utility. If this yep, just na- buy, natural monopoly, I'm just saying natural monopoly. Buy the produce, and walk away. Yep, buy the produce, sell the produce at cost. The overhead comes out of uh, some sort of tax subsidy. Everybody gets fed. You create some jobs. It's it's really a win win win. Except for you know people 
don't want their taxes going toward anything good. Well, um, I would also use this as a background, as as a as a backdoor to create a more universal SNAP system, and also to infill some of the empty Xbergs with new farmland. Oh, that's excellent. And I, like, I, think, I think new farmland can be very oh, good yeah, carbon you can do, capture. Yeah. Oh man, think about it. If you rolled it on, if you rolled it out across all sorts of areas, you would have so many. Uh, different partnership opportunities. You could create a cabinet level position in any state government to get all of the church community gardens, all of the volunteer community gardens, all of the nonprofit, uh, you know, the, um, what am I trying to say? The uh, like worker owned, like grocery co ops to contribute to this kind of thing. Not contribute, but partner. With this kind of thing, you can even you, know, and, you can even do things like if you have a citywide composting program, be like, "Hey, we create many metric tons of high quality dark dirt. Do you want some? If you're going to create food for these city run groceries, absolutely right. You know, and maybe maybe the grocery stores uh, start on a small scale. Maybe they maybe they do try to do more local seasonal stuff. That's not bad for people. That's not bad for uh, it's not bad for the land. It's not bad for uh, the people who are eating the food. It's not bad for the people who are creating the food. You know, it's it's really a, a remarkable suggestion. And apparently it's not that remarkable because apparently this has been tried uh, and, and to a great deal of success, mostly in small rural towns kind of sprinkled across America, um, not on the kind of scale that they would need for the Chicago South Side, because there are, you know, several million people living there. Um, but it's definitely a start. Yeah, and, and it would also, like, stop the sort of uh, the tyranny of dollar general stores, which operate like payday loans for groceries. And right. they're so bad for local communities that if one opens in your area, there is a mathematical chance that wages and house prices are about to go down. Right. It's, like, better than 50%. Yeah. So so don't listen to the haters, folks. I mean, you'll you'll see commentary. There was one particular jackass who was like, Oh yeah, you're getting the bread line. It's the end of the bread line, you know, there is the bread. Um and it's like, A, I don't think that Nazi Germany was really known for uh bread lines, but also, you know, it's kind of a weak argument when it's like the alternative to the bread lines was there was nothing to eat. You know, the breadlines were actually good, you know, in the absence of any other food. But this isn't even a breadline. It's literally just a subsidized grocery store. Um, so anyway, I was I, I'm, I, I continue to be impressed by this new Chicago mayor. And I thought that this was a really creative uh, solution to a problem that Chicago has been dealing with for a long time. So that's my high note for the week. Well, mine is mine is related, apparently, but uh, oh, yeah? a, a lot less politically um, sh- strifeful. Uh, there is a organization called Working Dogs for Conservation that takes dogs deemed uh, too unruly, or they're retired uh, body sniffing dogs, or they're mm. hyperactive; they can't really work, and it trains them to hunt for things in the environment, such as like. We need to know how many bears and armorillos are in this area. One way of doing that is finding their shit. You know what dogs are good at finding? 
real real good at finding shit. Or it's like there's a particular type of plant that is invasive here. The dogs can differentiate it from other plants. Teach the dog to start digging that plant up. Sure. And my my personal favorite, dogs sniffing coastlines or going into small into shallow water to uh, identify and destroy uh, invasive zebra mussel beds. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So like they're working dogs and they're working for like habitat restoration because they oh, that's they really know how cool. to identify stuff. And now I yeah I had a I had a friend who uh, helped work on a project where they had trained a big flock of sheep to go after a particular, to preferentially go after this uh, particular invasive weed in Montana. Um, but I've never heard of dogs being used in this way. Yeah. But man, yeah, if you, you let a hyperactive dog out on the coastline at low tide and teach her how to you know pull up zebra mussels, she's going to go crazy. She's going to exhaust herself. She's going to love it. Dogs love nothing more than having, you know, being helpful. Yeah, no, we, we, we've spent over 100,000 years training them to have jobs. <laughs> sure. Yeah, totally. Ah, God bless them. Oh, that's really cool. That's neat. Yeah, the uh, article is on the Washington Post, if anyone's interested. Nice. There's a lot of good pictures of very happy dogs. Well, I've got a couple of good, you know, environmentally friendly high notes to take you out on tonight listeners uh thank you again for being with us thank you john this has been lovely as to you as well um we are working on figuring out what our social medias are and what might be appropriate and what you might want to interact with so i don't think we have a whole lot to plug tonight but we're so glad that so many of you decided to uh you know tune into our our previous episode which is our our reboot episode we were actually kind of blown away by the response that we got so please do stick around we're going to please stick around and let it go to my head yes yes let it go to john's head he uh he lacks for nothing but uh ego um so uh yeah please do stick around and uh we'll continue to try to bring you these interesting stories as we find them so uh yeah thanks you all for being with us and we will see you next week bye-bye did you say armorillos